What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Maybe you all can help me. All right. I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, and, and I believe that he has forgiven me my sins and given me new life. Praise God, right? But now what? Now what do I do? No one has ever shown me what to do next. I have tried to go to church, but, you know, it seems like they're, they, they're speaking their own language. Uh, they have all these ministries. I don't know what those are. I just heard a couple sermons about discipleship, and that sounds interesting, but I don't really understand that yet either. Uh, I did hear the preacher tell some stories about other people just like me that didn't get discipled until a long time after they trusted Jesus. I hope that doesn't happen to me. I don't know. Maybe I should just call my alone time with God my church and call it good. I seriously need help. Where do you think I should start? How about the Bible? Uh, the Bible's a big book. <laughs> and it's really hard to understand. Every time I open it, I get confused. I remember the preacher said, start with prayer. How do I pray? <laughs> how do I pray? I need somebody to show me how to pray. Welcome to Community Grace. <laughs> I'm Pastor Reg, the real me now. Let's do start with prayer, would you? Would you join me in prayer right now as we begin this message? Lord God, our Heavenly Father, who hears our prayers and is here with us today and is very interested in what happens today and in our lives, will you help everyone here who wrestles with some of these questions? Or whoever will wrestle with some of these questions. What to do, what to do next, what's most important to you, what's most important for us. I pray that you'll open our eyes in scripture today and empower us through your Holy Spirit, who we're going to be talking about today as well. And empower us in our community as we share this uh, time together this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see how God answers that prayer. Sound good? Thank you for being here. It's so good to be back every Sunday morning. Weeks go flying by, don't they? But we always have this place to begin a new week, and I'm so glad. Uh, hi to the Fellowship Hall. Hi to the people watching online. Uh, the Spirit is with us all today. Today is week four of our discipleship series, and we are going to answer the question, what is discipleship today? And we're going to look closely at how Jesus modeled it in every level of community, every level of social interaction, Jesus modeled discipleship for us. Pretty cool. It's important, and I will say, it's important that everybody has a bulletin today, too. The guys are ready. Now's a good time. If you don't have a bulletin, we are going to be using those today. So raise your hand if you want to get one in your hands. We got two guys, Aaron Chris. They're going to pass those around. If you want to open your Bibles while they're doing that, you can open right to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We have some more hands raised on the front. Thanks, guys. It's important for us to answer the question, what is discipleship? Here's a few reasons why that's so important. That's because Jesus commissioned us to make disciples, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to make disciples. 
And we're going to talk about that today. Not only that, because of all the things that we could talk about today, and there's always current events, there's always life situations and things that we're, we're suffering through and, and wrestling through in life, and, and we could talk about some of those cultural events today, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that whatever the cultural events are and whatever the situations in your life right now, what we are talking about today is relevant for all of them. This is how we address and survive and thrive through all of these current events, through everything that your life is consuming with you with right now, is this today. What Jesus modeled, what he taught us to do, what he commissioned us to do. So let's get into it. We're going to start right now with our definition of discipleship. We talked about this last week. We laid the groundwork last week when we answered the question, what is a disciple? That is being Christ followers. And now we're going to look today at what is making disciples, making new Christ followers. So discipleship, just so we're everybody's on the same page, what that means, it sounds kind of churchy, right? Here's what it is. It's the lifetime process. Is that up there? Yes. It takes our whole lives. Lifetime process of becoming something we're not right now, becoming more like Jesus. Is anybody exactly perfectly like Jesus yet? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. That'd be bad. No, we have a long ways to go. So we're becoming more like Jesus, though, in every way as we help others do the same. That's discipleship. Praise God. So the first question that we're going to look at today is, what is making disciples? What is making disciples? Well, there's the definition of the discipleship process, but what is making disciples? And in our, in our bulletins, this is why I wanted everyone to have this in your hand, uh, we drew attention to this last week, we're going to do this again. Right on that outside cover, on the bottom part, you see our church's mission statement, and we got it in big, bold, capitalized blue letters, so it stands out. And I love this statement. This is what we're about as Community Grace. We exist to glorify God by being Christ followers. And that's what we looked at last week. Who make Christ followers? That's our topic today. So what is making disciples? If this is what we're all about, let's make sure we know. Okay, three very important things. If you have your sermon notes, you'll see three things under this question we're going to answer. Three answers. First of all, making disciples is the great commission. It is the great commission from the, our Lord Jesus. It's the great co-mission. We're on a mission with him. This is pretty exciting. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the text that we know as the great commission. I see this as a pinnacle scripture in all of the entire Bible. It, it encapsulates in a few verses a message of all the redemptive history of the world. From Genesis chapter 12, well from Genesis 1 when God created the world, Genesis 12 when God called Abraham, remember that, to start his chosen nation, the nation of Israel. What did God say to Abraham when he first called him? He said, through you, Abraham, and through the nation that I'm going to start through you, all other nations will be blessed. 
through your seed, through your ancestor, which, of course, we know 1,500 years later, 2,000 years later, was Jesus. Okay, That's, that goes through all of the Old Testament up to when Jesus was born and then started his new covenant with his new people, the church, that are going to be made up of his believers from every nation. That's what we are. So Jesus starts the new covenant with his people, the church, to bring about his soul-freeing gospel to the entire world. His gospel is great. His gospel is good news. And it is to be brought to all of the world. So this is Jesus' great commission to his people. Let's look at the verses, verses 18 through 20. They'll be on the screen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Feel the power of this. All authority of the universe is given to Jesus. And what does he tell his followers? It's you and me as a result of that. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And then he gives a promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. What a great promise. So Jesus gave every Christian and every church the same mission. And we just have a mission statement. Every church kind of words it differently to fit their culture and their, our understanding. So here we are in a 21st century church in Indiana, and we have a great mission statement. But did you notice it is taken right from Jesus' commission that he gave 2,000 years ago. And every Christian and every church has been on the same mission sense. We have to learn this and know this so we can obey it and follow it. What is making disciples? It is Jesus' great commission to our lives. The second thing is what it involves. If you go back and look at the text, a few things are bolded there. Three things. It involves evangelism, baptizing, and teaching. Let me just briefly clarify what those are. First of all, evangelism. If you don't know what that is, Evangelism is the act of sharing the gospel. In Greek, the word gospel is euangelion. And if you saw it printed out, you'd see that it looks a lot like the word evangelism or evangelize, or we're called evangelicals for this reason. We tell the, the gospel, we tell the truth, because without people telling, people can't hear about Jesus. And without hearing about Jesus, you can never believe in Jesus. People just need to hear about Jesus' work on the cross, what he did for them. One very helpful chart that I will show more than once because it's so effective is called the angle scale. It's on the screen here. And it's called the angle scale because it was designed by James Angle. That's why. Okay, so James Angle, haven't met him, don't know who he is, uh, but I love this chart. It helps us understand what evangelism is. See, for some reason... I think all of us at one time have this, this wrong concept that evangelism is only that moment when you are articulating the gospel truth. Jesus, you know, the Son of God, was, we're all sinners. And, and then, would you like to trust Jesus as your Savior right now? Yes? Okay, and then let's pray. And they become a Christian, and, and we think that's all that there is in evangelism. And that's wrong. Now, you can see that's the highlighted step. 
It is the most important step. I mean, it's the most life-transforming. It, it brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life that moment. But the whole process of evangelism is engaging people wherever they are, anywhere on these stages. So I'm not going to read all the stages, but if you, hopefully you can see them from where you're sitting. If I just have a conversation at work, at school, in the locker room, uh, talking to my neighbor across the fence, and he goes from no awareness of God to some awareness of God, or some contact with Christian, or he hears me giving some kind of credit and glory to God, to Jesus, we are making an impact. We're meeting people and bringing them up to the next level. That is evangelism, the process of making disciples. And then, of course, after you trust Christ, like we've been talking about, you can't just leave uh, a newborn baby uh, to, to care for its own. That's not how, how life works. So there is making disciples continues all the way until we get to heaven. Where are you on this list? Have you seen yourself anywhere on there? We're all at a different place, at a unique place, a special place. We make disciples by engaging people and bringing them to the next place. So I, I hope that's encouraging to you today to know that you're in, involved in evangelism, evangelism uh, anywhere that you engage on that list. Okay, let's go to the next one real quick, baptizing. Our goal as followers of Jesus is not just to evangelize people and leave them alone. It's evangelize and then congregationalize. Okay, that's how the apostles understood the Great Commission. Immediately they went out and planted churches. That's what they did. You congregationalize, you gather. And baptism, Paul teaches in Romans 6, is an entrance sign into the fellowship of the church. It's more than just that, of course. Jesus says, hey, your first step of obedience after, after giving your life to me is to do what I modeled for you, to be baptized. It proclaims our faith. It proclaims our new identity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it proclaims our new identity with the church, with God's people. So this is extremely important to Jesus, why he put it right in the Great Commission. So feel the weight of the importance of baptism. And if you have not been baptized and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you know what your next step is. And you can write that on your communication card, and we'll baptize you. And praise God. Baptism, the one, what comes next after that? That's just one moment. That's one big step, just one step. Maturity in Christ is a series of taking lots of steps. And Jesus says that, he calls that teaching. All that I have commanded. And he's commanded a lot, and it takes a long time, and there's a lot of enemies from within and enemies from without that want to keep us from growing in Christ. And so this is discipleship. We walk together teaching and learning. Learning and teaching. We don't just receive the word, then we reproduce the word. Now, some people have a stronger gift of teaching than other people, but every disciple of Jesus should be teaching in the way that they saturate their words with the word. And as we live our lives, everywhere we go, we, we teach. We teach God's word by the way we live and by the, way, by the way we talk and reproduce God's word. This is a great thing. I mean, this is why God saved us and didn't just take us right up to heaven. He left us on this earth to do what? To do what? Just goof around? No, to do this. 
all of us. So that's the Great Commission. That is making disciples. To review so far, we've got the first two. Making disciples is the Great Commission. It includes three parts that cover our total spiritual experience. Telling the gospel, baptizing, and then growing to maturity in Christ-likeness. More like Christ. Stop just right now and visualize what that would look like for you in your life to be to become a lot like Christ. What would that take and what would that look like? Just picture that. And with that vision in mind, maybe some of you are excited, maybe some of you are discouraged. <laughs> There's one more part to making disciples, and that is this, that it is powered by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we just need to learn about and then do on our own power. Let me show you through Scripture what a difference the Holy Spirit makes. And this is going to resonate with us because way too often we operate like the disciples did before they had the Spirit. Let me, let me tell you the story of Jesus' disciples right before he went to the cross. Go there in your minds with me, okay? On the mountainside with Jesus, just before his arrest and death, Matthew 26, 35 says, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter and the disciples were talking a big game. And I think they really believed it. No matter what happens, I will not deny you. I will not leave you. But you know what happened next, right? Peter did deny him three times because he was embarrassed, nervous, and ashamed. And what did all the rest of the disciples do? Matthew 26, 56 tells us, Then all the disciples left him and fled. Their promise to Jesus was that they would not do that. But they did it. It was an empty promise because they made it on their own human power. And fear got the best of them. Okay? We can resonate with that, trust me. But then after the resurrection, after Jesus arose from the grave and spent several days with his followers... Just before he ascended into heaven, which he lives there today, ever since, on the throne, praise God. But just before he left and ascended into heaven, he gave this promise of the Holy Spirit to his followers. Acts 1.8. Last things recorded in scripture that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he told us why. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, hold on to this because this is for you and me, for all of us. Now, we keep reading in Scripture what happens next. Here's what happens. This is in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. First two chapters in the book of Acts. And I go home and read these. About in Acts chapter 1, about 120 of them were locked up 
in a big room with the doors locked, hiding from the mob that had just crucified Jesus 50 days before. They're scared. They're locked up in that room still. Then the Holy Spirit came down on the church. We read in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And most remember the story if you've ever heard of it. This is the church's birthday, the first day of the church when the Holy Spirit, okay, first of all, everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. With tongues, something like tongues of fire, it says, was descended on everybody. They were up there praying, fearful, but praying, and God answered that prayer right here. This is when the church started. Okay, so everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in the new way that Christ's followers are filled with the Holy Spirit. They left that room, these people that were cowering in fear, they left their room, they got out into the streets, they did, started doing peaceful protests, to use today's language, okay? Peter gets up and preaches more boldly than, he, than anyone had ever seen. I'm sure it surprised him too. And 3,000 people trusted Jesus that day. 3,000 souls were added to the number of the church that first day and were baptized. What a day, but it didn't just stop on that day. Then with the power of the Holy Spirit, we see all of these men, these fearful men who were ashamed of Jesus just days before, like we can often be, what do we see them doing all through Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and through the rest of the book of Acts? We see them continually preaching boldly in the face of the Jewish mobs that had just crucified Jesus. This is the difference between doing things in our own power and doing it in the Holy Spirit's power. So this catches on and all the believers start praying for boldness. And God answers this as verse 31 concludes. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And on and on it goes. Just read these first few chapters in Acts. It's an amazing story of the first church days. In Acts chapter 5, they were arrested again and then broken out of jail by an angel. I mean, it's an amazing story. Okay, so what did they do after they got broken out of jail by an angel? They went right get back out and preached. Okay? Then, so the officers looked for them and found them preaching again. So they brought them back before the council. I just love this story. Where Peter and the apostles were sharing the gospel with the council. Fantastic. Well, the council didn't like that. So they beat them. And said, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And let them go. And what did they do? They went right back out and started preaching in the public square about Jesus. In Acts 5, 41 and 42, which I'm going to put on the screen, one of my top three favorite passages in all the Bible. I pray that my life resonates with them right now. They left that council having been beaten rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Should we ever stop proclaiming Jesus when the world tells us to stop? Never, no matter what happens, you won't do that on your own power. The Great Commission is powered by the Holy Spirit. So we pray and ask for that power. Again, Jesus commissioned us 
the Holy Spirit empowers us for making disciples. The next question is, where does that happen? So we take this. We're feeling, hopefully, okay, God, I want to work with you. And I want to be empowered. Power is a good thing. Uh, to be like Jesus in these situations. So we take that, these promises, this instruction, and where does discipleship happen? And the answer is, on every level of community, on every level of social interaction. Far too many people never grasp what I'm about to tell you. Far too many Christians don't understand this, never grasp it, and I hope that everyone grasps it here today. All of these levels of community, of social interaction, were strategic in Jesus' mission and his design of his church. They were all necessary for discipleship. They all work together. So if you have your notes in front of you, you're going to see, you see five, five levels of social interaction, of community. Discipleship happens in all of them. Here's how Jesus put things into motion for us to follow. We're going to spend the rest of our time considering these five and our involvement in them in our life today, here and now. Okay, the first one is the, get your pens ready if you're taking these notes, corporate body, the large group. I put 60 plus, there are churches certainly that are smaller, we're just putting some ballparks, much larger. The average size of uh, the American church is about 60 to 70 people. So picture a large group, and the main purpose of gathering together in a large group is Three, the three C's, I like to call it. Celebration, that's our worship of everything God has done and who he is. Challenge, that's your spiritual challenge that you get from preaching, teaching. And then connection to all the other levels of community. And I hope that we do a good job on all three of those areas. Jesus' example is preaching and teaching with the multitudes. He did that often, didn't he? But that's not the only thing he did. But he set large gatherings in motion... And then the rest of the New Testament sets up the church around them. So this is absolutely part of the church, our gathering together. When we think of church, we think of going to church, which is wrong. We don't go to church. We are the church, right? And we come together. And we come together on Sundays because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Happy Lord's Day. Every Sunday's Resurrection Day. But when we think of church, big gatherings is what comes to mind all of a sudden. I'm urging us today not to think of this as the only church event. Okay? <laughs> We're going to keep going to four other parts of church life, of, of making disciples. But this is where we gather together, and there's a lot to do when we gather together. There's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to sing about. There's a lot to preach about. There's a lot to meditate on. There's a lot of testimonies to hear, to give, to share. There's a lot of announcements to give. There's a lot of baptisms to witness and enjoy. There's a lot of commissionings to send people out from our church as we gather together. There's a lot of vision to cast. Where are we going in the future? Where's God taking us? And there's the observance of communion, which by its very definition is something we do together in community. And we're going to do next Sunday night, as Sean said. Next Sunday night here at 6 o'clock. Come on back for that. That's what we do. It is good to gather all together 
to do all these things and even more. This is part of the church, but only part. Down in size from the corporate gatherings, we see Jesus' model of the mid-sized group. That's your training and relational network, the mid-sized group. This is ballpark figures, 25 to 75 people. Could be, could be less, could be more. The main instruction, or the main purpose for the mid-sized group is instruction and connecting. Jesus' example was when he gathered the 70 or 72 disciples together. That's right, there were a lot of disciples, there were a lot of followers of Jesus, and he gathered 70 of them, one time 72 in another place. He trained them, did some training, and he sent them out. Do you remember the story? Read Luke 10, right, i got to read Luke 10, verses 1 through 20. Here's what happens. I'm going to tell you this part of the story too. I love telling stories about Jesus, right? So, okay, here's what he does. Jesus gathers a group of 72 of his disciples together for mission training. And he told them his plan. He was going to send them out in pairs. So I'm not going to read these 20 verses. Here's my paraphrase of them. He says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for more laborers to join you. I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. And you are going to saturate the entire region with the gospel. Okay, you're going to go out in pairs to all the towns in the region, saturating it with the gospel. Now, unlike previous times, this time I don't want you to travel with any money bag, no knapsack, no extra sandals, and greet no one on the road. This is just how he was training him in this, this time. Like we're focused. You're going to get to that town. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there that welcomes you, stay with him and set up shop there. This is some cool missions training. He says, anywhere they don't accept you, shake the dust from there off your feet and move on to the next town. And so they did. And then later in the chapter, Luke 10, we read that they came back after this, after a few days, several days, and they were pumped and they were filled with joy at all the great things that they saw God do. All the ways that people responded. They were filled with joy that their training and their relational connections worked so well. So cool. Churches offer lots of these types of environments today. Trainings, Sunday school, communities of training, we call them. Things that a youth group does for their students and for their leaders. Small group leader trainings coming up August 30th. Sign up for that. Men's and women's retreats. Great environment to get out there. Be refreshed, worship, be trained for living, for being the kind of godly man or woman that you want. All kinds of these mid-sized opportunities. Here's a picture of just this morning, our communities of training all gathered together in the gym. This was just an hour and a half ago and met for this very reason. And it was great. It was a great time to be together and get on the same page about what, is, what God is doing and, and how we can improve and grow together. So that's that element. It's vital to your, to your Christian life and to our mission of, of making disciples in all the nations. So now we move on to the spiritual family level or the small group. And the main purpose of this group is different than the previous. This is closeness, closeness, and diversity of a family on a mission. All right, Jesus' example, of course, was the, 
his group of 12 disciples. This was Jesus' main group. And if we neglect small groups, we have a big problem. Consider what Jesus did as he modeled this for us and told us to do the same. This level of community has an advantage over all the others. This is the best size to maintain a closeness and yet have enough diversity to, to prompt and experience real growth in each other. This is the best size community for discussion, for sharing, for fellowshipping, for eating together, for ministry together, for getting out in the, in the community and sharing together, for demonstrating Jesus' love to non-believers that might be in the group. John 13, 35, and, and the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Imagine a non-believer in your group sh- just watching your love for one another. I think it's one of the most powerful ways people can come to Christ. All these things. We'll be launching small groups in the fall, again, in mid-September. But first, we need a few new groups to accommodate everybody. And so we need more leaders. So leaders, please come forward. Leaders, co-leaders, hosts to open up your homes. That's what this training on August 30th is. All right, we're making disciples. We're learning how. The next one is moving on to another vital level of community, of social interaction that Jesus modeled and set into motion, designed you to be involved in, is companions or discipleship groups. This could be a mentor-mentee relationship, a group of two that meet together regularly to really get intimate. It's very effective to have a group of three or four. Once you get bigger than four, this doesn't work as well. Okay, so this is a discipleship group. Jesus' example was that he had a special relationship with what we call his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Maybe you have noticed this, picked up on this. Maybe, maybe this is brand new information to you. I, remember the fir- I still remember the first time I learned about this, and now I read through Scripture and I see, yeah, he really did take Peter, James, and John off to the side to build the relationship with him, to give them some extra training. He took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with these guys more than anybody, anybody else, Peter, James, and John. The Bible said that John was Jesus' best friend on earth. Okay, he had a best friend, and that Peter was the main leader of the disciples. So he pulled these guys aside to spend some extra time with them. And this, as we know from experience as well, is how we grow perhaps the most, is when somebody is pouring into us on such a close relational basis. This size group is best for accountability. It's best for commitment It's best for working on spiritual and life goals to just unload, you know, what you're going through and open the word and find out what God might say in that situation. It's the best to work on how to share your testimony at school together and pump each other up to do that. It's the best on working on your marriage with a marriage mentor, somebody who's a little bit further down the road, maybe just not marriage, but anything that's further down the road. It's the best environment for brothers and sisters to really sharpen each other. One of the, the saddest things about being a pastor is that you desire to spend that kind of a relationship with everybody in the church. And I would love to, but I can't. <laughs> but I don't need to because somebody else can. You connect with somebody, a mentor, mentee, 
Small groups are the best place, I've seen one of the best places for, to accommodate this. You're in a group of 12, 15, 20 people, eight people, whatever. You can find one or two people to branch off and meet for this kind of thing. So next week, we're going to launch the Discipleship Resource Center out in the foyer, uh, a temporary one for now before we build a more permanent one, to resource this kind of interaction among every part of our church. So you wonder, well, where do I start? It's, you just go right there. And there's going to be a variety of, of things to connect with. So pray now, though, for your involvement and, and, and your connection in this level. And there's one final level that Jesus modeled for us, and that is alone with God. The main purpose here is to have intimate relationship with God. Jesus' example, of course, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see often Jesus praying in the morning, Jesus praying at night, Jesus retreating by himself to pray. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed a lot. He talked with his Father. And this is one of the major ways we become like Jesus, a relationship with him. And in John 15, Jesus talks about this a lot, but I think this, this is a really vivid illustration that he uses. It's called abiding in Christ, like abiding in the vine. Think of a tree or a branch or a grape vineyard or whatever plant that's got a vine and some branches, and you'll understand what he says here. John 15, 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me, abide, I mean stay, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's what we want in our lives. That comes from your relationship with God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So those are the five levels of community, of social interaction, and making disciples happens in all of them, and that's how. Let's look at three lessons for today before I have one next step to conclude with. Lesson one, we make disciples where we are planted. And listen to this. This is important as we grasp. Okay, this is for everybody. What's it like for me? We see on the, on the wall, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, what does that look like for me? How do I make disciples in all the nations? How do you make disciples in, of the nations? By making disciples in the nations. Let me say that again so you can be sure to remember that today. How do you make disciples of the nations? By making disciples in the nations. What nation are you in right now? You are in, in, well, the nation. The way we define nation, you're in America. The way the Bible defines it, it's more people group. Your role is to make disciples right where you are, where you're planted, where you have influence. For us, immediately, this is Warsaw, Winona Lake. So here's a picture. Start, let's start praying and asking, how is this church going to pour out its blessing into Warsaw, Winona Lake? That's our Jerusalem. Let's be in deep prayer for this area and reach out tirelessly to the people that are around us every day. The body of Community Grace is involved in hundreds of communities, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, classrooms, sports teams, uh, clubs. We're all over the place. That's our primary mission field, our primary place. And then beyond that, we support and send and 
missionaries out into the nations. We go if God calls us to go cross-culturally. And we do it however we have influence outside of our, where we're planted, where, we're, where we are, where we live. Okay, I hope that helps you. It's like, okay, the mission that God gave me is becoming a little bit more clear now. This is what I'm involved in. Well, that's where he wants you, serving. Okay, second lesson, real quick, is we are most empowered when abiding in the vine. If you feel powerless, it's because you're not abiding in the vine. I can't emphasize this enough. Abide in Christ means be in his word. Read your Bible every day. It's not just legalism. It's not just cliche. It's not just a box to check. This is abiding with Christ. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, how we learn a process to transform our mind, ourselves by the renewing of our mind. And then praying is talking to him. Without that element, you're just becoming like the dead, dead and dying branch. And third, the Holy Spirit meets us most out of our comfort zones. If this is my comfort zone, as long as I'm staying in it, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to meet me. But if I get out here and I start talking about Jesus, you experience that. Do it. And you'll see, that's where the Holy Spirit meets you. So remember that. How do we overcome our fear, anxiety, apprehension? How do we get the Holy Spirit by, willing to step, by being willing to step out? The devil is hammering us with fear right now. And he wants to keep us there. But the Holy Spirit says, no way. I will give you the victory. Come on and follow Christ. Remember those apostles in Acts, always be inspired by them. They cowered in fear. They got the Holy Spirit. They were amazingly bold and fruitful. This is being Christ followers who make Christ followers. It is our mission, and God has given us everything we need to know. Now we need to follow. So our next step, our one next step for this week I will make disciples in every level of community. So what I want you to do is go back to your notes, if you were taking those, if you have those open, and just in your mind, if you remember all five, go back and circle those levels of social interaction that you are not fully engaged in right now. It might be all five, four, it might be three, it might be just one you want to focus on. Go back and look at them. Or remember them, pinpoint the ones you're not fully engaged in for right now. And make some decisions to be Christ followers who are making Christ followers. Come to church every week, public gathering. Why wouldn't you want to? Communion next Sunday night, trainings as much as possible. Join a small group, but first we need leaders. Get someone to disciple or someone to disciple you. Talk and walk with God throughout the day. And then invite people to come and hear about Jesus, or to ch whether a church or to tell him yourself. We are growing in this as a church. Growth takes a long time. It can be slow sometimes. We'll make a lot of mistakes along the way. We'll experience a lot of God's grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do it and ask him to bless this movement that we are a part of for his glory.
Lord God, I thank you so much as we study the Word of God, your Word, as we study history, as we look around and see examples that we can follow that are following Christ, as we experience a church family that's, that all wants to do this and, and become alive in you together, as we find a small group to be an intimate part of, as we find a mission and ministry to serve you in, uh, it's messy. As we, as we battle our own uh, sins and, and weaknesses, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is strong, and I pray that you'll fill us with, with wisdom and discernment, overcome fear and shame, oh, your cross that wiped it all away. I pray that everybody can experience being set free today and follow you. Show us the way we should go today now as we close. In Jesus' name, amen.